Alexander the Great, upon his deathbed, and he died at a very young age, made a request. It is said that he requested that his hands not be wrapped in the grave clothes, but left outside the funeral bier, so that everyone who saw him would realize that his hands were empty. He had possessed two worlds, east and west, along with the treasures of both, and yet he could take absolutely nothing with him, and apparently he wanted others to come to that realization as well. And so at the end of his life, he and the poorest beggar were on absolutely equal terms. Let me ask you a question. Can you jump up and down at the same time? You can't do that. You can't jump up and down at the same time. You can jump up and go down, jump up again, but you can't jump up and down at the same time. Neither can you lay up treasures on earth and in heaven at the same time. That's a spiritual impossibility. So says Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which we are studying on Sunday nights, and ready to look at a statement that he made in Matthew 6, beginning at verse 19, where he said this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then Jesus elaborated further. He said, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then he said, if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. And then verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will despise the one, or be loyal to the one and despise the other. And then he concluded that thought with, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot jump up and down at the same time. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's been said that the problem we face in this world is two sources of fear. Fear is a great problem, and it has two sources. One is the love of money, and second, the fear of poverty. The fear of having so little and the fear of having not enough money. In Matthew 6, 25, in the next verse that we will study the Lord willing next time, there is a therefore. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. And so these points about anxiety or worry point us back to these verses we are looking at tonight. And they are crucial verses, obviously. Verses 19 through 24. Verses 25 through 34 of this great Sermon on the Mount provide the cure for fear. The cure for fear in these two areas, love of money and fear of poverty. 
The cure is given by the master teacher in verses 25 through 34. But as we consider these verses tonight and what Jesus said is recorded in verses 19 through 24, let us first ask, what does the prohibition not mean? When Jesus prohibits us from laying up treasures on earth, what does this not mean? Well, it does not mean that you cannot take steps to provide for your family, for your retirement, and things of that nature. Obviously, he is not prohibiting that. Because to do so would counter what the words of Paul by inspiration, as Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to reveal all truth to them, what he said in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8, where he said, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so it is enjoined upon us to provide for our families. And so when Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, he is not prohibiting taking steps to provide for your family. That is commanded. That's expected of the child of God. Or for retirement or for various other rainy days, as the case may be. Also, it does not mean that you cannot be wealthy. That it's inherently sinful for you to have a lot of money, a lot of wealth, a lot of assets. There is nothing in Scripture that condemns being wealthy. And so that's not what he's talking about. In Ephesians 4, verse 28, as a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul there says, Let him who stole steal no more, but let him rather labor with his hands, working with his hands, what is good that he may have to give to him who has need. Now, who is better equipped to give to those who have need than one who is wealthy? And so if one who is wealthy is thinking straight, he can, he can do a world of good, a world of good with what he has been blessed to accumulate. And so it is not the accumulation of, of wealth, it's the improper use of it, the accumulation in an improper way. And so when Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, he's not prohibiting providing for our family. He's not saying it is inherently sinful to be wealthy. But obviously, we have to use that wealth in accordance with the will of God. But what about some reasons not to lay up treasures on earth? Well, the first that ought to come to our minds is that they will be destroyed. Everything in this world, this universe, is going to be destroyed. A second reason not to lay up treasures on earth is that God does not want us to divide our attention. He requires all of our service. And he reminds us here in this text that our hearts will be where our treasure is. So if I am distracted, if not completely consumed, by the accumulation of treasure here on earth, my heart is going to be where that treasure is, not where I am, as we have said before, sending it on ahead. No, you can't take it with you. Alexander the Great understood that. But you can send it on ahead. You can send it on ahead. There are imperishable 
treasures that can be sent on ahead. So what does the obligation really mean? How could it be summarized? I think the late Tom Warren summarized it well when he said it means to love God and His Son, Jesus Christ, more than anything or anyone. That's what the obligation means. To love God and His Son, Jesus Christ, more than anything or anyone. And he cited Luke 14, verses 26 through 33. We've looked at them many times. Listen to them again. If anyone comes to me, Jesus says, and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. In other words, count the cost and realize that discipleship costs you everything. Salt is... Good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, or I'm sorry, I'm reading from the wrong, I skipped a little bit. Then he says that in verse 33, or else while the other, or so likewise rather, after the conditions of peace are sought, so likewise whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's as far as I wanted to read. So whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. I've said before, New Testament Christianity does not require selling out everything you have when you become a Christian. You don't have to have a giant uh, estate sale and just sell everything because you're becoming a Christian. But what if I could read in Scripture, have a giant estate sale when you become a Christian and sell everything you have in order to be my disciple? That's what I'd have to do. But what Jesus speaks to is an attitude, doesn't he? He's speaking to an attitude that says, I'll do whatever is required. I'll give up whatever I have to give up. I'll forsake whatever I have to forsake. And I will, as Brother Warren pointed out, love God and His Son, Jesus Christ, more than anything or anyone. Now let's look at some reasons why, why one should treasure heavenly things. Well, it's obvious, one of them, they're lasting treasures. They will never go away. And here's something that's vitally important as a reason why we should treasure heavenly things. And that is, it's the only way to be a true servant of God. The only way to be a true servant of God is to conduct ourselves the way Jesus admonished it in the passage we just read from Luke 14, 26 through 33. 
The only way to be a true servant of God is to have that attitude. You see, Satan will accept only a part of our service. If Satan can have one part, just a part of your service, he will be thrilled. Why? Because he knows that in getting a part of your service, he gets it all. That's biblical. If he gets a part of your service, he gets it all. Why? Because God demands it all, deserves it all. And if we give God most of it and Satan a segment of it, Satan will be absolutely thrilled because, in effect, he gets it all. And how sad it is that many, perhaps, do not come to that realization of what is required in order to be pleasing to God and to live in harmony with the admonition that he gave in this part of the great sermon on the mount. Now, some things we should treasure. What are some of the things we really should treasure? Well, life is one, isn't it? We should treasure life. And it is so tragic beyond description that the significance of life is so ignored in the thousands upon thousands of abortions that take place day in and day out in our country and the efforts that are made, strong, concerted, widespread efforts to defend the woman's right to choose and to murder her children. We need to treasure life and the fact that life begins at conception. And therefore, we need to appreciate it as a gift from God and every life with that precious soul. We need to appreciate the time of life, don't we? And how quickly it is gone. I know that as I get older, I can think back on certain events that, that uh, took place several years ago and I just thought surely that was just a few weeks or days ago it seemed like well I'll give you a mundane illustration I told you I had a dead battery Saturday and I thought boy my battery's dead you know when I got the last one 2011 that's how long I'd had that battery well I can remember the day I got it down here at AutoZone it sure didn't seem like 2011 and now it's 2015. But that's insignificant compared to the opportunities that we can squander by not valuing the time of life and the fragile nature of life. Redeem the time, Paul admonished. Buying up the opportunity, in other words, because the days are evil. And oh, how life can slip away from us before we realize that it's gone. And as we look back, as we talked about looking back this morning, we understand and appreciate more as we grow older just how quickly time can pass. And the older you get, the faster it passes, it seems to me. 
Appreciate the time of life and the possibilities of life. The possibilities to do those things that will endure for all eternity and to influence souls, souls that will live for all eternity. Well, they'll exist for all eternity. We're trying to help them truly live for all eternity, aren't we? To have eternal life, not just eternal existence. And what about truth? Shouldn't we treasure truth? By the truth, the writer of Proverbs said, it's recorded in Proverbs 23, verse 23, buy the truth and do not sell it. Once you've possessed it, don't you ever turn your back upon truth. Don't ever sell it. Also, wisdom, instruction, and understanding, he adds in the latter part of that verse. Buy the truth and do not sell it. And what about influence? Shouldn't we treasure our influence and realize the power of that influence that we have? And how we are exerting that influence, whether it's an influence that we're exerting for good or for evil. Let your light so shine, Jesus said in the earlier part of this great sermon. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Remember of Abel that is said, and though he being dead, yet what? Speaks. Because of his influence that he exerted while he lived. Treasure life, treasure truth, treasure influence, treasure the body, treasure your body, and treat it as a treasure. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul writes, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own, for you were bought at a price? Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The Holy Spirit, through His Word, dwells in us, influences us. God is in us through that Word. Christ is in us through that Word. In these bodies that we need to use to glorify God. And so we need to treasure our bodies. And what about the mind? What a great treasure. What a treasure that, that man is still trying to figure out and still can't, despite his great advances, the marvelous mind that God has given us. And upon what should we be thinking with that marvelous mind? Well, Paul gives us some insights into that in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, when he says, Finally, brethren, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Boy, how much better this world would be if people as a whole followed that admonition. Thinking upon the things that are true, just, pure, etc. Oh, yes. Treasure the mind and obviously treasure the soul. For what will a man give? What, if a man, what is a man profited? If he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus asked 
in Matthew 16 and verse 26. And so indeed, the soul is a precious treasure that we need to value. So what are some of the things we should treasure? Life, its significance, its time, its possibilities, truth, influence, the body, the mind, the soul. Some of the things that are worthy of being treasured. Now in verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. But before he gets to that thought, he elaborates. He elaborates upon the statement that he has made when he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth but in heaven. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And then he elaborates in verse 22 by saying, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? That's simply an elaboration upon what he has said previously that says it all depends. Your success in following God and Christ depends upon what you're looking at. It depends on how you see things. And if you're seeing with an eye that is good and whole and healthy spiritually, then the whole body will be full of light. But if you're not looking at things as you should, if you're not appreciating the treasures that can be sent ahead over the treasures that you're trying to accumulate here, if the eye is not good, then the body will be full of darkness. And what if the light that's in you is darkness? Oh, how great that darkness is, he says. What a pitiful situation to be in. And so he is saying, make sure your spiritual eyesight is healthy. And the only way you can do that is by feeding upon that which will make it healthy. And then he comes to verse 24 again. No one can serve two masters. For either will he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And then he says, you cannot jump up and down at the same time. You cannot serve God and mammon or material things, worldly things. Now, is it the case that, that one cannot have any kind of earthly master at all and render service? Yes, service can be rendered to earthly masters. Children have fathers and mothers. And those children are to render service to their fathers and mothers. But what Jesus is saying when he says no one can serve two masters, he's saying no one can speak of a can serve two contrary masters. You can only serve one or the other of the contrary masters, either God or Satan. And if you're serving God, then a part of serving God is to be subservient to those earthly masters whom God has ordained to be your earthly masters, your father, your mother, and certain other authorities to which we are to render obedience. That's part of serving the master in heaven. But no one can serve God and Satan. No one can serve the spiritual and the secular or the worldly, 
at the same time is his point. It's an impossibility. The late Rex Turner Sr. said this, quote, In the sense of the God of this world, mammon is worldliness in its most extravagant form. As the God of the world, mammon has many facets. Anxieties, money, success, pride, possessions, and sensual pleasures. That mammon or materialism takes many forms, in other words, and manifests itself in many ways. And here's a closing thought for this very important section of the great sermon on the mount and what Jesus is saying to us here. And that is this. No man will go to heaven whose heart is not already there. If your heart is not already there, then you won't be there, nor will I. That's how important it is to make sure that we're laying up the treasures there and not here. You can't begin to do that until you become a Christian. You can't do that as you once did unless you come home to your first love. If you need to do that and love again as you once loved and serve again as you once served. And the idea of service here in this context is slavery being a slave, but a willing, loving slave of Jesus Christ. To become that slave, that willing, loving slave, you have to respond in love to the one who first loved you by believing that he is the Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing him to be the Christ, and being buried in baptism with him, rising with him to walk in newness of life. And if you have done that in the past, but you know that Satan has crept in and has possessed just a part of you. He has all he needs. Give that up and come home to your first love if you need to respond publicly. As we stand to sing, will you come?